This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. I'm Mark Lintonmeyer, a philosophy god who is devoted to learning improvisation. And I'm Bill Arnett, an improv devotee interested in philosophy. We've each come with a lesson. Sometimes these lessons are well thought out. Sometimes they were uh, designed right before we talked. But I'd like to say that we're not going to say what the lesson is up front. I might have a little hard time with mine working it in after the fact because it's a little divorced from regular experience. But we're not going to take turns. In fact, I feel like I've already bitten into by giving that little disclaimer during the rules. I'm already cheating. The starter gun has not yet gone off. <laughs> well, mine might be more philosophical. My lesson. Ooh. Which should be interesting. Well, let's see if they have anything to do with each other. When we're done, we'll see which one had the most profound effect through the verdict of our ever-reliable, I'm going to stick to that for now, Judge about 5,000. Yes. Oh, yes. Say hello to the folks, JudgeBot. Bleep, bloop. The JudgeBot doesn't make noises. I, I'm sorry. I did that. That's, yeah, I figured. I figured. <sighs> it's just, it's not a very good podcast aid. Like, maybe I should install a wacky horn. Aruga. Something like that. Get a soundboard going. Everybody loves soundboards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose I could fix them in post, but I, I don't want to misrepresent. I feel like. There could be repercussions. Sure. If I pick the wrong sound. Indeed, indeed. It might be, that's the sound of my mortal enemy. You've attributed that to me. It could be a whole thing. Landmines. There's landmines. There be sea monsters. Yes. So why don't you get us started Well, I thought we could start with an improv scene. This is not the lesson for the day, but it is something we've talked about, and it has come up. And it's this whole idea of, I think, many often, and again, this is not the lesson, players, and historically on this podcast, there has been a concern about the content of the scene, as though the characters themselves must have an interesting conversation, or talk about something that is interesting or pertinent to the... Now, I will say, this is a special case, and this podcast is a special case, and the fact that you're trying to include philosophical tenets into our scenes is in the scheme of things is acceptable however we don't have to and i think that's i would love to try to do that and i think one of the best ways is i think we may have tried this one time but maybe we kind of want to try it again here the best way to kind of get off topic a little bit is to have one of us kind of interrupt the other person and kind of have these ideas collide and fission and the products of this fission will be a scene that neither of us had in mind going in. Does that make sense? Sure. Awesome. Go ahead and start this thing, and I'm going to interrupt you. I won't take away what you said. I won't negate what you said, but I'm going to try to spin it in a direction that you possibly did not intend. Does that make sense? Sure. Indeed. All right. Whenever you're ready, Mark. Now, uh, students, George Barclay is known. Steve, I'm going to stop you right there. That's Professor McGonagall. We'll see. All right. This is yeah, yeah. And don't snicker at the name either. I know it's I know it's a Harry Potter name, but it's that's my actual name. I had it first. This is your last year of teaching school. All right. And if you're going to be a professor, you've got another two weeks and a final test. All right. Now I enjoy you've done great in this classroom simulation, but um, can I pull you aside a little bit? Can I just tell you something? Yeah. You have some constructive feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Can I stop doing this voice? Is that part of it? May I? I have a special teacher voice that I feel like gives me gravitas. Okay, do, okay, that's it. Perfect. That's exactly what I was going to say. 
That's exactly what I was going to say. You can drop the teacher voice. It's coming but across. This is this indicates intelligence. Also, I have two pairs of glasses on to show how smart I am. We I noticed, and that was kind of odd. Look, here's the thing: you're a professor. That indicates intelligence, right there. You've got a diploma on the wall. That indicates intelligence. You're just you're leaning in a little much to the kind of stereotypical dorky pencil neck teacher. You don't have to do that. It's just that I got the first pair of glasses and they were like for nearsighted people, but I'm not nearsighted. So I had to get a second pair that was for farsighted people so that they could be next to each other and it would make it so I could actually see. Do you need glasses? Do you no, need? No, not at all. Not, okay. Not well, all. then you don't have to wear glasses or find some non, some vanity glasses or some safety glasses. How about that? Yes, I have some John Lennon circular glasses. I don't know if they make me look so smart as just really cool. Well, you stop worrying about looking smart, okay? You're, you're, you're going to be a professor. You're going to have that sheepskin on the wall. I mean, you're smart. The students don't, they don't come to college looking to disprove their professors. I don't know if you've heard about the kids today. From what I understand, they are a rebellious bunch now. They will try to cancel me. They will try to entrap me and say that I'm filling their heads with dogma, like the dogma of material objects. I hear that's a big thing that the students are reacting to these days that, oh, you guys are all materialists. You're trying to tell me that matter is real. And when really everything is made of ideas, Uh, these students today and they're, they're, it's almost like a religion to them. Well, look, you're giving them ammunition, your high water pants. I can see like four inches of sock. All right. And maybe you just, I don't know how, if you've grown since you bought those pants, It's giving them ammunition. Can we just not be cartoon professor? I mean, I could lower the suspenders because the pants actually are really kind of chafing. I mean, they're really pulling up. If you're going to wear the suspenders, don't wear a belt. Again, all these little things, you're just, you're telling the students I'm a cartoon character and they're going to eat that that will eat you up for that. So let's just try this again. Let's just intro this class. And just do it in the, in the voice you're talking with me now, and you can lower your pants, and you can lose the jacket with the patches on the elbows, and that's not, you know, let's just teach. Is that cool? All right, all right. We'll try it again. Hey there, students. Okay. That's strike <laughs> you, that's, you, let- you can keep going, but that you're, that's, that's strike two, but I'll let you keep going. Uh, I'm not at all uh, pandering to you guys when I tell you that George Barkley claimed that everything was ideas, that there are no material okay, objects. Look, look, the, the, the second you say, I'm not pandering to you guys, means you're pandering. Okay. When Fox News says, we're fair and balanced, you know what that means? They're not they're fair not, and balanced. They're yeah, not yeah, fair yeah. and balanced? Yeah, yeah. So when you say, I'm not pandering. Should I not wear the Fox News hat? Is that too pandering? I think that's fine. It's a political statement. I, whatever, Wherever you end up working, the may not appreciate that. But you don't have to be sexy voice. I just thought that people like the sex. Well, just, I mean, I, I was trying to do the opposite of what I was doing before. So usually I do the kind of nerd voice because I'm a little worried about the students and their, uh, you know, they, they, they're kind of seductive. They're kind of, uh, you know, think that I'm coming on to that. I want to create a, a distance, you know, to cut off. This is also why I have that plastic shield to keep the pheromones from reaching them. Because I just don't want to be caught in a situation, you know, that don't stand so close to me. That situation. Yeah, well, just don't do not do that. Share an office and always have office hours with another professor. That makes sense. It's a real easy fix for that. Okay. What if they claim that there was a, a three-way could having you just, another professor in there? Could you just intro this class just as yourself? 
Is that possible? Just in the same tone you're having with me right now would be perfect. Okay. Uh, hey, uh, George Sparkly, uh, also someone who did not wear suspenders, believed that everything was ideas and uh, not matter. But you shouldn't think that that means that everything is just your idea because that's a different thing, which I'm forgetting the name of right now. So yeah, now this is so unnatural for me. I'm trying to do it without this a voice. Is unnatural. Without a, this, this is unnatural. I feel if you go into performance mode, then it's like you have your lines there. They're ready. I guess I could. How about this? Do your, do your impression of me. Uh, when see, I think okay, that's, that's, that's I don't, I don't, I don't want to offend anybody. Right, we'll stop right there. We'll stop right there, Mark. Outstanding. Okay. <laughs> that was fantastic. That was fun. Thanks, Bill. That was fun. Good. Now I hope my interruption and my grabbing of the ship's wheel of that scene was pretty aggressive, and that might get me a note in another format. But I wanted to steer the ship in a direction that you were not anticipating or not prepared for or had dialogue or necessarily thoughts prepared for. I guess I'm used to you laying out where the, <laughs> what we're doing in the scene, even if I try anyway. So it's all good. Now, I have a question for you, and this is going towards, maybe, maybe not going towards to my thing today. What happened in that scene? Did anything happen in that scene? Um, there was personal growth. There was some wisdom imparted. There was some insecurities explored. Mm-hmm. There was that tightrope of being in the world. You're, you're tipping one way through uh, trying too hard one thing, tipping another way to, you know, you were setting me on balance. So I think this was a classic. You're having this character paint the fence. And then uh, he realized, I'm not just painting the fence. I'm learning something. Would you say that that scene had action? It didn't quite get to that point. Perhaps if it had continued and frustration were to build or there would have been some tangible signs of the growth, a leveling up kind of a light above the, my character's head, mm-hmm. something like that. Or maybe you yourself as the teacher would have been changed by the interaction. I cannot predict. So if there's no change, there's no action? I suppose with a scene this short, it could just be a, <laughs> a slice of life. Oh, all of five minutes. Fair enough. So that's fine. I think I don't want to talk too much about it. We can explore it some more. Certainly on the radio, quote unquote, we can't really be physical, right? Mm -hmm. We can't like play a sports game or we can pretend to play a sports game. But sure. Yeah. Can we have action that's non-kinetic? You'd like an argument? I'm asking. This is where it gets philosophical. The shoes on the other foot, Mark, is all action kinetic. Most action is not kinetic, I would say. Okay. Only very briefly in real life do things happen that constitute an action where something has changed, you know, a quick slap across the face, a kiss, a making of the donuts. Well, I suppose that is a, an eating of the donuts. Okay. I guess these things, it depends what you consider. Does an action have to have a identified consequent or can it just be like, is my just moving my hand rapidly? Is that an action? Well, there we go. I, do we define action by it has a consequence? If an action falls in the woods and no one's there to be consequented by it, did it happen? I would think that to identify something as an action, that it would have to not only have intent, so mm-hmm. it's not okay. merely, well, it's okay, so action in an action movie, that could be an accident. An action that someone takes has to have intent, but let's just split the difference for a scene and say that there has to be something that, yes, has some, if not predetermined, at least substantial 
effect. Otherwise, it's just business. You know, the action of waving your hands around, I would say, for dramatic purposes, that would be quite strange if you considered this. <laughs> hey, let's watch an action movie. It's a lot of guys doing jumping jacks the whole time. Sure. That's some riveting action. They're working out. There's a few things you've touched on there that I, I appreciate and agree with. I don't want to go too far into that. When you say intent, there's the actioner with the intent. Know the reaction they will receive in order for it to be intentful? Or do they simply intend to do their action and the consequence befalls semi-randomly? I think it could be either way. I think you could, heaving a brick off of a highway overpass Mm -hmm. is certainly an action. Sure. Whether it actually has a horrible impact that was probably anticipated as among the, but yes, you could have an action that involves a chance element or an action that is an irresponsible action. It sort of just depends. I think intent can include a range of things. I mean, even just intending to raise my arm, intending to release the brick, intending for the brick to go where I want it to go. Those are all. My kid gets up early on Saturday and eats the last donut. And I come downstairs after I wake up and the donut's gone and I'm, I'm upset. Uh, certainly eating a donut, we could call that action, is the effect of eating the donut an action that then I'm not upset by my child's chewing, you know, but it certainly got a reaction out of me. The taking of the donut is that action. Ooh, I'm going to take that donut. Yes, it does seem to be one of those things, just like the definition of what constitutes an object is determined by purposes that we have for it. So that if I pick up some litter off the ground, do I care about the number of particles in the litter? Such that I'm going to say, I had this action of picking up uh, one French fry and an action of picking up another French fry. and Or is, am I going to just say, I picked up the fries and it was a single action. Okay. It just, it matters for why you care. If it took a long time, if the fries, fries were scattered around, you were playing 52 fry pickup, then you could say yes. There was 52 distinct actions there, but for the purposes of I picked up some litter, then even if it took a while, even if there were multiple things, you'd probably just consider that one action. You know, talk about 52 pickup. You got that five guys burger and fries out there in, in Wisco? Sure, sure. And you're familiar with like whatever size fry you order, you get the massive overflow that comes in like a, a soda cup, you know, paper cup, and it's just, it's just the bag is just swimming in French fries. I thought like 52 pickup, maybe imagine a restaurant where your order of fries is just dumped onto your tray and then your sandwiches and things are, are on top. So if you and your family get you know burgers and fries, it's just a tray full of French fries and then just you know, a couple of burgers on top. Are we imagining that vividly? Is that a, a no, premise I'm for just a saying you, you inspired me. You inspired me. Would that idea work or not? I don't know. That could be a whole other discussion. Speaking of ideas, you were working some idea stuff into your teaching and mentioned some guy's name. Yes, George Barkley. And I guess, you know, we we're just making the point about whether something counts as one action or many actions. And the same goes for physical objects. Is this one object? Is it many objects? It sort of depends on what you want to know. It would seem like there is some flexibility. I don't know. What do you think about the act of, have you ever tried to point for your, do you have a pet? Yes. Oh yes, your cat. We've talked about this. Mm -hmm. Have you tried to point something out to your cat? And they look at your finger rather than looking at you're pointing at. Yeah. So they don't get that convention of pointing. Sure. What is the convention of pointing? How do we actually figure out what it is you're talking about? I've also raised children. And when that was a big milestone was when the baby was smarter than the cats. 
one of those things was certainly pointing and trying to indicate. And sometimes you have to like point and they don't get it. And you walk over and touch the thing and step, you know, and are point at it right close to it. And then you can step back further and suddenly, or they want something and they'll do the grabby. They'll kind of reach towards it like they're trying to grab it. So I think this notion that there is something away from me that I want to draw attention to or want, I think there is something that's a little bit inbaked in us a little bit. And we just kind of need to connect the dots a little bit to get that to work. The other thing that the, the cats were just as smart as the kid was when I say it's dinner time for the cats and I start opening cat food cans, they get more excited rather than less excited. And if you're like agitated, man, I'm just hungry. I'm so hungry. I'm really hungry, man. I said, don't worry. I ordered some pizzas. Great. You calm down because, you know, pizzas are on the way. Now, if it takes too much time, you might get upset. The pizza's taking too long. But the same thing with like babies. You start opening the baby food jar and they get more keyed up about how much they want baby food. Well, and when you're referring, when you say the pizza ordering action or the pizza delivery action has begun. Sure. Then you're pointing in a way to this actually pretty abstract sequence of events. So clearly, as with most things, it seems very much context dependent what the pointing actually means. I mean, how do you point? You said you go over and touch the thing. Well, what if you're just pointing to the living room? Like, well, what do you touch specifically? Like, it wouldn't clarify things to go sure. and touch the middle, the very middle of the floor. I guess you'd have to touch the middle of the floor and then kind of wave your arms around this whole, but you know, if you, if they don't know the words yet, if you're just using the pointing. Well, we don't, we don't start with abstract objects. We start with concrete objects, spoon, teddy bear. And then once they master that, we can move up to more abstract concepts. I'm not referring to the cat. I'm referring to the cat's joie de vivre. Okay. Do you not understand that I'm referring to the, <laughs> that attitude, that insouciance in the cat's eyes? The cat will never understand. The cat will never understand those things. They are beautiful killing machines who don't understand abstractions. As fascinating as the semantics of pointing may be, we have to stop for a sponsor break. St. John's College is for undergraduate and graduate students who seek meaning in their lives, who ask hard questions of themselves and of their world, and who dare to free their minds. In small discussion-based classes, students grapple with fundamental questions that confront us all as human beings and engage with influential works by some of the world's greatest writers and thinkers, from Homer, Plato, and Euclid to Nisha, Einstein, Wolf, and Baldwin. This strong commitment to collaborative inquiry and to the study of original texts makes St. John's College a particularly vibrant community of learning where students participate in lively discussions and immerse themselves in translating, writing, demonstrating, conducting experiments, and analyzing musical compositions. Through this, they learn to listen deeply and across perspectives and to speak and reason with precision. Explore 3,000 years of human thought in just four years or two for graduate students on campuses in Santa Fe, New Mexico and Annapolis, Maryland. Learn about our undergraduate and graduate great books programs, including online graduate options at sjc.edu slash improv. So here's a question. Given that there seems to be so many ways to carve up even the visual field, let alone the field of ideas. Sure. Do you think that the carving pick out cuts? Does it identify objects that are already there or does it in effect create the objects by grouping together certain things maybe along conventional lines but i can probably do both this seems not to stand a little bit outside this whole conversation mark this feels like one of those philosophical things that philosophers just love 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 
and the general public can feel a little bit, this just feels like semantics. We're just arguing about the definitions of words. Can we move on? No, is the philosopher's <laughs> answer. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to move along to a, a scene. We don't need to move along. I was simply stating, does this get beyond semantics? Or am I just not seeing that it already is beyond semantics? Well, look, there are different gradations of this idea, some of which are extremely useful in terms of, you know, you've heard the whole, this culture has seven words for snow, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that, you know, there might be cultural or idiosyncratically human interests or, you know, whatever that carve the world up in certain ways. But at an extreme, this Barclay that I was mentioning actually had the idea that given how much construction of that sort goes on, it doesn't really make sense to talk about there being a world that is apart from any human conception at all. What's the obvious response to that? Well, I know there's a real world because I can, I can like, touch things and pick things up. What are you really experiencing? You have particular sensations. So you pick up the fries that are on the floor and you have a certain sights, certain textures and stuff. But it seems like the fry itself is a theoretical entity that is being posited to unify a bunch of different sensations. You know, this color over the here, this color over there. It's just, you know, physical objects are tremendously useful as far as being a locus, a way to keep track of different sensations, because otherwise it would be just a complete blur. No one is denying that it is extremely useful. It is essential. We would all be dead if we did not cut up the world in certain ways. Sure. But you still might think that, not that there's necessarily something entirely arbitrary about it, you know, it being useful. If I try to pick up the fry and the earth that was under it, it doesn't come up. Let's just call the fry an object. Sure. But you might reasonably ask, is there any such thing as sort of the fry in itself beyond this cutting up process? The answer is yes. So how would you determine that? It's a, it is matter. It is a collection of atoms and molecules fried so golden again, brown and delicious. Atoms and molecules in particular, like those are two measures removed abstract entities because you can say that everything is made up of atoms and molecules. But again, those are just theoretical constructs that we're using to keep track of macro objects and to explain things about them like they're tremendously useful for chemistry my for cat physics. is terrible at abstraction but if i hit it with a rock it's certainly going to feel the impact of molecules and atoms even though it has no idea that it is a rock or what it, what it is being impacted by i guess it has some sophisticated <laughs> uh, theoretical abilities to say programmed in to say this sensation you know this collection of sensations must refer to this action of you know you hurting it and potentially you know if it notices that it's a rock maybe being scared of that rock you know that whole shake the can yeah it may gain a abstract understanding of (laughs) after me don't not trying to say you should abuse animals or hurt animals only for scientific purposes scientific purposes yes schrodinger's cat has been killed or not killed an infinite number of times already so that's all we're doing before you put it in that little box you throw a rock at it don't do that. We shouldn't be doing that at all. Can we do another scene? I and to. I don't want to step on whatever the lesson was you of the won't. previous scene. You won't. I will make sure that the lesson is in this scene. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Welcome to the World of Ideas, my new storefront that I have just opened. 
Everyone walk in, walk in. No, sir. Have you ever beheld such a grand store as my store? No, no, no. I've walked past, you know, for the last couple of months, see had, you know, brown paper on the window. So I was just curious, you know, what it is. And you're finally open. So I thought I'd come in. But now it is open and you can see before you the world of ideas. There is a, a chair. Uh-huh. There is a, next to that is a, a second chair. These are all ideas. It's just, just a chair. I mean, I can go to Ikea or, you know, Broyhill. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's an idea, but I guess. Um, How do you know? You got, any electri- you, know, like, you got like electronics or things or is it just, is it just uh, home goods or. There is the idea of electronics, but I did not actually get any electronics yet. That is my, I might get that next month. Fair enough. Fair but enough. there is four chairs. And then beyond that, there is a table. Okay. And a book upon that table. But these are all ideas in your mind. Sure. Uh, you know, actually, the, the, we had this wicker laundry hamper, uh, that we had for a long time and the handles have broken off and it's kind of a pain to carry down the stairs. Anything, anything like that? A laundry basket or hamper or? There is the idea of the laundry basket. You have brought it in with you, but there are different types of ideas. Okay. There are some ideas that are merely present themselves as semblances, as images. Look, I'm just, and there are some ideas that present themselves as what you call physical objects. And these are the ones that I have brought in here because if you just try to bring in the more imagistic kind, I'm, I mean, the room would get full very fast. You, there's this infinitely many of those that you could drag in. Okay, look, I, I, I'm being nice right now. All right. If you don't have a laundry basket, that's fine. I, I might go to Target or like a home goods place. They probably got them real cheap over there. What is an idea, but something that can be reconstructed to make other ideas you can use. If you put the two chairs next to each other and then maybe uh, dangle a garbage bag between them, then you could use that as laundry. It is a hamper. I want a laundry basket. This feels like an episode of, of Electric Company or something. Like you bring my kids in here. You've got all this. Look, if- electricity itself is ideas. Yes, it produces real effects in the world, but that does not mean that it is not ideas. The effects themselves are real, but not just your ideas. They are ideas that we share. That's the thing. Right over here. This is something I actually need. This looks like a, a drawer divider. Is that this little box with a little, you put like your, you know, your knives and forks and spoons. Is that what this is? Because I actually, we actually need one. We actually need a drawer divider. Yes, that is one of my better ideas. Great. Let's do it. I'll buy it. I'll buy it. Fourteen hundred dollars. All right, seriously, I'll give you fourteen for it. Fifteen ninety-five is what my ideas are worth. <sighs> Fifteen even. Pay an exact change. I don't make change. You're, no you're, lucky. you're like I got a ten out of five right there. All right, and you can figure out what the tax is going to be. All right. Well, thank you. My ideas will live on in your house. For, you know, for, you want some free advice? You want some free advice? Just sell stuff. Just, you just sell stuff. That's a, there you go. There you go. All right. And see. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> the solicitor had no comeback for your <laughs> witty last word. <laughs> so, yes, this is, I was saying that there's sort of a, a potentially useful things that come out of this idealism. Sure. The idea that how we carve up the world is context dependent, but the notion of idealism itself, just that, yeah, all this stuff that's physical objects. In fact, we could do all of science. We could talk about atoms. We could. But we have to keep in mind that it's still all ideas. Like, they're actually, by design, is not supposed to be a practical consequence. It really is something that is a merely metaphysical question. So there might be reasons to argue about it. And you might ask, well, why would you even want to come up with that? But it is divorced from 
practical consequences. It kind of something I know I've mentioned before about some of my own personal kind of philosophy. And I don't mean personal like I invented it, but personal mm-hmm. to me. Someone else is, I'm sure, has thought of this, but this whole idea that any concept of man or thought of man or idea of, of man is, is imperfect because it's a man's idea. And that I will say there are definitely people in the world who fall in love with ideas or fall in love with concepts or fall in love with things that are not real or material. And that kind of gets under my skin a little bit, you know, if that makes sense. I don't know if there's any intersection with what you're going for, but how would you compare the imperfect idea of humanity with humanity itself? You're going right for the fences here, Mark. Gee whiz. Now I have to talk about humanity. My first example is humanity. Uh, well, I thought that's, <laughs> I was just saying what you were saying. People have an idea of. Well, they have an idea, you know, a political stance, democracy. Democracy is the best form of government. You know, it's like, well, there may be another one we haven't discovered yet. It's the best one so far. Or as Winston Churchill said, the, you know, it's the worst form of government except for all the others, which is, that's quite Churchillian, I think. But, uh, this idea, we get very much in love with certain concepts or certain things, or we're seeing a lot of this in the U.S. right now with America and freedom and all those things. It's like, well, we may think of something better because, you know, I'm sure 500 years ago, someone's like, you know, this feudal system, I don't know what else to do, really. I don't, you know, I'm not sure if there's anything better is going to come down the pike. Does that make sense? That's what I'm going for. Yes. The point I was trying to make is that how you would check if your idea of democracy is a decent one, I think you think this is actually an easier point to make with a very abstract concept like democracy, is you look at a broad swath of experiences that you group together. You know, what you heard about the election, your experience voting, what other people have been saying about it. You're comparing one idea to another idea. Sure. They are I gave the lack of practical upshot of Barclay's theory, but his main, <laughs> he has a couple main reasons for arguing for this. And the main one is that he just doesn't think it would make sense for an idea to be comparable enough to something that is not an idea at all. If you say there are material objects in the world, there are happenings in the world that are not in any way ideas, that are not in anybody's head in any way, then there would just be no way to compare them like that's what we do we hold up one idea in front of us and another idea in our minds and we compare them and that's how we determine even if we're trying to check our idea against so-called reality we are checking it against how do you look at reality itself like you have to collect that you have to carve it up in some way i know this may be something we've tried it before but this idea of like well yeah people go hungry but capitalism you know that has to happen and like well wait a minute are we valuing an idea over hunger, which I'm not sure if that's how abstract a concept that is, but uh, (laughs) it's certainly approaching reality, if not all the way, all the way real. It has to be a a context because it's like the hunger of some group that you think has been deprived in some way. You know, it's not your hunger, just your raw feeling of hunger right now. You know, if that's all it was, you would have no way of making sense of it at all, right? And it's not clear that your pet compares its idea of hunger, its feeling of hunger, with the image of the food being poured. You know, there's not even that comparison. There's not anything that cognitive going on. It's merely... I'll go even one more abstract. I don't think one of our cats, I think she begs for food based on sunlight. And if it starts getting dark, it's dinner time. And when the time changes and the seasons change, she's suddenly starving at four o'clock in the afternoon. And I think that's how they know. She can't tell time as a cat, digital or analog, 
but uh, <laughs> I think as a crepuscular animal, the dawn and the dusk are powerful moments in a cat's <laughs> day-to-day <laughs> happenings and goings-on. So I think bringing up animals is a good potential response to this whole idea about everything is ideas, is that it seems to make everything too cognitive. Sure. And if you want to say that animals know anything at all, but yet they're not making these comparisons, then what justification do we have for saying that their world is made up of ideas? Is the alternative that they're just automatons? That is uh, something that was on the table for these guys back in the 17th, 18th century, thinking about this kind of stuff. Were they at that place where they, they recognized the human as an animal or were... The rational animals, certainly. But yes, miles away from the regular animal. They were not emphasizing how, you know, we're all dominated by instincts. And probably most of our thinking, you know, most of our relations to the world do not involve thinking. <laughs> sure. Okay. The mindset of the people who came up with those ideas. If our ideas are so wrapped up in cultural context stuff, we also have to think about the context of the people who came up with the, this idea 200 years ago or however long it was, right? So I feel like yeah, we normally would have a second scene. We're kind of out of time. <laughs> we did have a second normal... scene. Are you kidding? I went, to, I went to your store. Oh. And here you go, Mark. Did that scene have action? What was the action in that scene? The purchasing, the actual act of purchasing, there was a, uh, there was some speaking. Was there any there other was some, action? Some growth. Mm-hmm. There was some love. Uh, it was, it was underlying. What was my, beyond purchasing, what was my action? I mean, clearly at times. Leaving. I, I was you left. <laughs> but I had certainly had other actions, didn't I? Uh, you were looking at various things. You were, you were commenting. Those comments were pointed, were they not? They were purposeful. Yes, they took that fellow down a peg. Trying to. I'll tell you, he went home crying in his beer that night. His store is going to close. We know that. We all know that store is not going to last very long. Maybe it was an avant-garde art installation (laughs) to make a philosophical point. So, So here we go. It's time, Mark. It's time. What am I going for here? What am I trying to say? That there doesn't have to be action? I mean, that was... Well, there has to be action. Even non-action constitutes action. Well, I guess we have to define we have to define action now. I guess or something have not evidently active constitutes action. Anything that the character does, sure, constitutes an action. Merely observing, merely talking. There's not much that you have to force into a scene to think it's going to count as interesting. Sure, you know, we mentioned actions have consequences and whatnot. We could call it reaction. If a reaction occurs, well, then an action must have occurred. Yeah, sure. Okay, what was there reacting going on in that scene? There was definitely reacting. Then there must have been action. The action of merely a character being that character, expressing him or herself in the moment, that counts as an action. Well, I would say expressing themselves, they're not monologuing. They're not indifferent to the audience or indifferent to the person they're talking to. There is a a back and forth. So there was a solicitation. A lot of improvisers who don't come from necessarily a theater background, I don't come from a theater background, But they confuse action with kinetic action. And that's just not the case. Action, I am doing something with an attempt to get an effect. Rather than picking up a a rock and throwing it, I am saying words that I I want to have the same effect. And that is action. And it is getting a reaction. You being upset, you being angry, you being affected by my action. I think the example I use a lot in class is Romeo and Juliet balcony scene. If you're familiar with it, but it's just Juliet on a balcony 
just talking to the air, you know, Romeo, Romeo, we're out there, and, and Shakespeare hiding in the bushes, or not Shakespeare, Romeo hiding in the bushes. There is no kinetic action in that scene, absolutely none. In fact, there, <laughs> Romeo's hiding, and they're having the whole conversation about what's in a name. I think it's, I think that's the what's in a name, Rose by any other name, was that, was that in that? Anyway, that's not Shakespeare's worst scene. I'm going to leave it there. That ain't Shakespeare's worst scene. The fact that I even know it. <laughs> so there is action. There is action in this unkinetic scene. And I think that's uh, an important point. And I think I think you were hit it and were around it. I'll give you a B plus. <laughs> All right. Well, I, does that make sense? What I'm saying? Sure. Okay. Well, and we talked a lot of pretty explicit philosophy. Did any of that? Yes. Make any impact on you whatsoever? Well, the one thing that did impact me, and that I may not be able necessarily describe the philosophy right back to you, but the impact was maybe we shouldn't be so precious with our ideas because they're not, and our labels and all those things, because they are arbitrary and are contextual and are tied up with all these other things and have no inherent value or, or meaning. They're just our way of trying to understand the world. And perhaps we probably shouldn't be so precious or dear with them and that they might change. And that perhaps ideas and objects, if you do those on Venn diagrams, they're not separate, but perhaps there's some intersection in the Venn diagram of ideas and objects. So based on that spitting back to me, I think I probably did not do a good job. <laughs> well, C minus, what? The categories by which we carve up the world, having some flexibility and context dependence, I think is a good way to get, get into the idea. But the ultimate point is not that they are merely arbitrary or that they definitely will change. Most of them are not going to change. Uh, physical objects are what, you know, and we can have some separate. I've been wondering about how to sort of get into philosophy of science discussions with you when these are not really related to regular life, right? Philosophy of science is specifically about like, what do scientists do when they're investigating something? But this seemed at least seemed a necessary step to get into it, to start thinking about what a theory actually is, that it serves to organize a bunch of phenomena and sure you know it very well might be just like the way that we talk about atoms and molecules now is not the way you know these were always talked about and probably will not be the way they are talked about in a hundred years i'm a practical man mark you know that and i think if improv has taught me anything it's that practicality sometimes you know we can be theoretical about improv but then when you're on stage it, it is the practical application that's going to it's going to win the day. I'm not pushing back. I'm just saying. Yeah, well, and knowing that I appreciate the journey. I really really do. Knowing that, the lesson I wanted to hammer home today is that idealism, even though it sounds like this completely wacky oh, everything's in my head. Mm -hmm. Idealism is not solipsism. Solipsism is the idea that everything is just in your head. Everyone else is a dream, and if you're a solipsist, you would just Perhaps just be a monster, like you're playing, you know, an immersive video game at all times and you could have no ethics and no, <laughs> there would be no point in anything. Whereas idealism might still have a strong component of objectivity. You know, in fact, Barclay's cheat was, how is it that what I was looking for, what's, what's the, the obvious responses to idealism is like, what about before there were humans? What about those millions and millions of years was there just nothing until the first human? And in fact, we're saying maybe even animals don't have ideas that are sophisticated enough to count as, you know, these theoretical entities of material objects. Is it really that there's, there was nothing until the humans came around? Well, an idealist has to have a response to that of some sort. 
And Barclays was just that, well, they're all ideas in the mind of God first. And then he shares them with us. So that's like, that's a very 18th century. Yeah. That seems a cheat from our point of view. A, a more modern version is just, no, no, no. They're, uh, transcendence. The fact that they're, they were there before we even came upon them. That's actually built into the idea. That is what the idea of a physical object is, is that it has parts that I will never experience, that it existed in some form or had some antecedent and was part of some causal chain that was before any humans were even around. The objectivity is built into that, but that's hard to make a lot of sense of. Correct. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) So let's uh, see what JudgeBot has to say about this. Ticker tack, ticker tack, ticker tack, split, splooge. It's a long piece of paper, man. Okay, improv clearly won because uh, uh, I chose a topic that would not necessarily have much impact on you, but perhaps it has softened you up for something in the future that I'm... Fair enough, fair enough. It may not have had the impact you thought or intended, but it had an impact. It got, it got me thinking. The judge bot, there's, there's some particular percentages. I think there's some measures that it has come up with of how much impact each of the thing had, but I can't make sense of them. They're not a single number. Yours kind of has a five slash 3.128 over what looks like the infinity sign and a picture of a cat. So I don't understand the details, but improv one. Anything divided by infinity is, you know, approaching zero but well it's infinity still one i will take the win i will take the win (laughs) well i enjoyed learning from you today mark i enjoyed learning from you today bill i I kind of launched was there any housekeeping you wanted to do before i launched into the end i guess i want to encourage folks we should have a encouraged action every time there we go uh to go on the itunes store the apple podcasts the stitcher wherever you listen to this and leave a nice rating or review. I'm assuming that if you don't like the show, you didn't get this far, you would not sit through our scenes and our philosophical babbling. So you like this show, you think it's worth five stars. Don't be petty. Just, you know, boost us. Do it. Any, any little comment would be nice. It'd be nice to hear back from you, even if it's just a little thumbs up. Yes. Well, I enjoyed learning from you. Now is it time? Is it time now? I think we we said we enjoyed. Okay. And scene. 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 Okay. I wanted to run it all together. Can we do it once or we just do we just nail it? Yes. Well, I enjoyed learning from you, Mark. Well, I enjoyed learning from you, Bill. And, and scene. scene. I'm going to leave all that. We're going to have <laughs> the practices and the final. Please do. Because we have to see that there is growth. Hope you enjoyed the show. Get more at philosophyimprov.com. If you want to support the show and not have to hear any more commercials and get our post-game segments where Bill and I and sometimes guests will elaborate on some things that came up in the episode, reflect on the future, and share our recommendations in the philosophy and comedy worlds, you can see options to do that at philosophyimprov.com slash support. Thanks. Bankrupt. 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 Bankrupt.